Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew chapter number 3. While you turn there, the anthem which we hope to teach you all in before the end of the Christmas season as part of congregational worship is a perfect example of what I just finished talking about at the church at work because it takes in the bleak midwinter by Rossetti adds in a little handle from the Hallelujah Chorus and then it takes in this piece that right now the name of it has left me. It is so obscure. And it weaves it all together into a modern context to declare that God shall, that Christ shall reign forevermore. That is the work of the gospel, to put into to, to, to new language the old story. And sometimes to borrow existing language to put it into a new light to tell the old story. And so as we teach you this new congregational Christmas hymn in the weeks ahead, I do hope that you'll have that in mind. Now today we're going to look at a figure that there's not a lot of hymns written about, but I wish there were. Because they would be on fire. Matthew chapter number three. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you that Christ reigns. And sometimes, Lord, it does not look like there is much sovereignty being exercised over the world in which we live. It seems that nothing but chaos reigns. But Lord, I pray today that we would find, indeed, afresh, that you reign and you desire to have all-encompassing reign in our lives. Speak grace to us today, Lord. Grace to change and grace to heal. And bless me, Lord, with the words that are needed for those who have gathered to hear from you today. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Do you ever wonder why is there such a lack of peace in our society? Now, I'm not speaking about the war and the violence and the hostility that seems to grip our airwaves every time we turn on the news. That's not what I'm talking about. No, my, my question about this lack of peace seeks to address the disquietude that frequents each of our hearts on a regular basis. We find ourselves internally torn, anxious, frustrated with ourselves and our place in this world, or at least I do. And I hear through some of your comments, though you may not recognize it as such, that you do as well. Could our lack of peace be resolved if we could just declare an end to the hostilities that rage within us by no longer conforming to what others think about and expect of us? What if we refuse to perpetuate the lies we tell ourselves as we acquiesce to things that are different than what we truly think? How can we throw off these constraints and find that elusive peace within ourselves? The answer, I believe, is found in the life of one who would not be labeled in any way, shape, form, or fashion a prophet of peace. Most people would declare him to be the chief pot stirrer of all time. And who am I speaking of? John the Baptizer. You say he's John the Baptist. We're just going to call him the Baptizer today. Because he's for everybody. He's not just for us. John the Baptizer. It is rare to see someone as secure in themselves, secure in who they are and what they believe and what they think, so secure that they do not care about what anybody thinks about what they do or say like John. Notice verse number four. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. John is not going to grace the pages of GQ, and he did not care. John was being true to himself, and accordingly, in how he lived and what he said, he was being true to God, who God made him to be. Beloved, are you doing that today? Are you being true to who God created you to be? Are you living your authentic life? We may have any number of reasons why we aren't. 
We may even think that they're good reasons sometimes. Like we think that we have to play a particular role and in that moment we cannot be what we are feeling and what we are thinking. Yesterday I was at a funeral and a dear friend said to me while I was there, I've been praying for you because I know how hard all of this is for you. Well, it was great. I, I, because I've sat, <clears throat> I sat in that funeral and I thought to myself, not about the deceased, but about my father. And I thought about how I've been trying to recreate him to the point that I've here lately because I'm not as tall as him but basically we wear the same clothes I've inherited a whole new outfit and so I've just been wearing his suits just trying to be him for a little bit because he is gone and in doing so, losing myself. Valid reason, right? Still not being true to myself. In fact, when we live lives that are counter to who we really are, we go to war with ourselves. We will clean it up we will say that we just bit our tongue when they said something that we didn't agree with. Or we'll say you've just got to go along to get along. And so we'll keep our mouth shut and not say who it is that we truly believe. Even if it's attack on ourselves, we'll keep our mouths shut. And really in the end what we're saying is if you really knew who I was, if you really knew what I thought, if you really knew at the core of who I am, what I am, you wouldn't like me. And so I, I'm going to play your game instead of playing mine. I'm going to be you instead of being me. And we go to war with ourselves. Now, beloved, understand something, and I'll address this further later on. Do it, being our authentic self does not mean that we are always right. All right? But when we are our authentic self, we are enabling opportunities in our own lives and in the lives of others for growth and conversation. Because, beloved, if you're always talking to the same people and they're just agreeing with how you are, how can you ever grow? How can you ever think differently on a situation? And when we say we're just going to all conform and be like everybody else, we lose ourselves. And we lose the opportunity to make others and ourselves better people. 
it should be noted that churches are famous for this. We try to be like other churches. Generally churches that have the latest and greatest things going on there. And so we miss the opportunity to be the church that God has called us to be. And as we proceed, seek to proceed to be some other church, I've never known a church not to have some level of anxiety and disquietude within itself as it was walking away from who God called it to be, to be the church that God's called someone else to be. John, in our text this morning, will have none of this. And in doing so, he, has not only, he was not only secure in himself, he was also enabled to do a couple of things. First, John was able to accept his role. <clears throat> Notice verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John understood that his role was not to be at the forefront of the movement that was about to be unleashed. In other words, John understood that his role was not to be Jesus. Jesus was to play Jesus' role. John was to play John's role. John's role was to go forward and baptize for repentance. Jesus' role was to go and baptize with fire. Jesus' role was to declare the kingdom in its fullest. Jesus' role was to be the Messiah. They asked John, John, are you the Messiah? No, 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 I'm not him. Behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm not him, I'm just the precursor. That's not my role. That's Jesus' role. When you're secure in yourself, beloved, you don't go out and be somebody else's role. And we grow frustrated if the truth is told when we are being some role outside of the one that we are called to. All of us would like to be, well, most of us, I should say, would like to be uh, out front. Leading the way. But beloved, our role is not always there. Sometimes our role is subordinate. Sometimes our role is auxiliary. Sometimes our role is to take a step back. And yes, though, sometimes our role is to offer point leadership. To be the one out front. When we forsake either position, though, we should understand whether it is to be subordinate or whether it is to be out front. When we forsake either position, we force others, maybe who aren't even supposed to be doing it or who are already doing so much that they don't think that anything can fall down so they'll step into another role. We are causing them immense frustration and we are causing them to be at war with themselves. And so we perpetuate, not peace, but unease. 
Beloved, do you know your role today? Do you know the role that God has created for you? For you see, when you know your role, you also know your purpose. Verse 3 says, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Our purpose tells us where we are supposed to be doing our role. John was to be on the margins. He's out there in the wilderness. John's not in Jerusalem making these proclamations. John's not uh, throwing tables in the temple. No, that's somebody else's role to come. John understands his purpose is to be out on the far end, on the far edge. Because that's where the ones who need it to hear it the most about how God loves them are. And he's to be out there. He's to be out there where the paths aren't very straight. And he's to be making them straight. You know, we live here in an in uh, urban area. I think as I drive here, there's one curve between my house and Grove Park on 70. If you don't live in an urban area, though, you understand something. That the further out into the country you go, the curvier the roads get. I mean, my grandmother... Uh, used to call him Governor Scott Roads because he said he'd build a road by everybody's door. And the further out you'd go, the worse they'd get because you had to take curves to get there. Beloved, the same is true in life. There are people who are on the far edges and it's curvy paths and they need straight paths to get to God. And so John's going out there to straighten the path. John understands what his purpose is. Knowing our purpose is key because it will keep us going when we are tired and frustrated and ready to give up. Our purpose, once known, shows us we are plugged into something greater than ourselves. Do you know your purpose? Do you know your purpose? You know, you might not think about this about me. You might look up at me and you think to yourself, oh, he's just so calm and all that. But do you know what I really do like to think of my purpose is sometimes? Is I'm God's bulldog. Because there is nothing I find more refreshing than going sometimes and being tenacious about something. I had a director of missions one time. He used this phrase about me. He said, when there needs to be a bull in the china shop released, I call you. I don't get frustrated at that. I just go. You see, when you're in your purpose, you're in that divine line where the will of God and the grace of God just flows into you. And you can keep going. Do you know your purpose today? Do you know your purpose?
Now let me step away from it individually and speak to Grove Park as a congregation and about Grove Park's role and purpose. Grove Park was for many years the innovator and the leader of ministry in our area. We were constantly inventing new ways to do the work of God. Over my time here, I have heard about all of them. I've heard about how we were the first to build a gym before anybody knew about gyms in churches. We were on television. We did pageants. You name it, we did it. We were at the forefront of all that. And some may question whether or not that is still our role and purpose. And so let me put all that to rest today and give you the answer. Yes, it still is. That is still our role and purpose. Our role and purpose is to be out front. We are still innovating and doing new ways. We we saw that clearly by how we responded to COVID. You know, I, I get tickled as I drive around Alamance County, because we were the first people to put out signs in the middle of the pandemic about uh, don't lose hope, better days ahead. And we had those signs out everywhere. And then what happened? Everybody else decided they needed to start talking about hope. Other churches had hope signs out. People were buying billboards about hope. Everybody got on the hope train. And who was the front car in that? Grove Park. We didn't ask for any acclaim, but beloved, I might as well declare what it was to you today. And our purpose remains. We are to show that there is another way to do the work of God. There is another way. In a society that thinks they understand church, We are called to show them there is another way that they have not understood yet. There is another purpose to do it. As we show what it means to actually not talk about grace and sing about how amazing it is, but to live out grace-centered lives. To talk not simply about God's kingdom, but to live out the ethic and the values of God's kingdom and to be driven by those values. Not just sitting on those values, but driven. Driven means to be moved to do something. That we are people who seek to live out the fullest of the Great Commission to make disciples. To make disciples. And beloved, we're not seeking seeking to make uh, superficial disciples. We're not going out and evangelizing just to cross a tick off and say we got somebody else baptized. No, we want to make people who go deep into the depths of who God is and learn who He is. And become disciples that are that centered in themselves. And as they go out, they are declaring that they love this entire community and they champion this community. And they say to this community, you have worth, you have value, God loves you and we love you and we don't care what you've done or who you are. We don't care if you like to eat honey and wild locusts and dress in camel hair. 
You want to find, you want to live out a grace-centered life. You want to live out the values of the kingdom. You want to champion the community. You want to be a disciple who goes deep into who God is. Guess what? We got a home for you. It's at 108 Trail One. That is our purpose. That is our role, and we will not shrink from doing what it is that we are called to do. John did it boldly, and we will too. For you see, beloved, when we are secure in ourselves, when we are secure in who we are, what our role is, what our purpose is, we grow more emboldened in what we are doing, and we expose others for what they are. And they come seeking the peace we have found. Notice verse number five. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Two groups come. Number one, the population, the center of the population, leaves the center and goes to the margins to find John. Jerusalem and Judea is the center of everything. Those in the center, those are where it's all happening. It'd be like folks from New York City driving down and going to Altima Hall to find Jesus. The sinner goes out because they have heard about finding this peace that this guy is talking about. And so they go out there to it. But there's another group. The religious and the political. You see, when the sinner goes, other people will follow. And the religious group and, the, and really the political group, because that's what essentially the Sadducees and the Pharisees were as well. Go seeking, you know, I, I'll be very cynical here. You know, you can never miss a chance to get votes. So they went seeking. And what does John say to them? Bear keeping and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You brood of vipers. John's message is emboldened. John doesn't doesn't have to worry about calling it like it is. He just says it like it is. There's no fear here. Yes, it will ultimately cost John his head. But not before John sends word to Jesus, are you really the Messiah? And Jesus says, yes, I am. You have seen the one who you worked for. Beloved, how great would it be? How great would it be if we saw it all as we went and were emboldened in the work that we are doing John has no problem going out he's so secure in himself and because people are in such urgent and so hungry for peace 
they'll go find John. The masses go to him. You see, beloved, we view ourselves, we view being ourselves, rather, as limiting. It's limiting. But in actuality, it is freeing. Because not only are we freeing ourselves, we are freeing them. We are freeing them to see who they are, that they are sinners in need of repentance. And John says, come. John is freeing the Sadducees and the Pharisees from thinking that just being religious, simply just being a good Jew is enough. John says you have to have a lifestyle attached to it. It's not just simply a name, it's an ethic within you. He's showing them what it is and, he's, and they say, okay. They don't say it all the time, but there's some. We know there's some. Ultimately, I think you can, you can look at Nicodemus and see the effect of John's ministry. John is freeing everyone because he is who he is. So how do we get there? Verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's the thing. I don't think that the average person has a clue about what they need to repent from. We are so sure in ourselves. We are so sure in our own righteousness and in our own thought processes that I very often don't think that we have a clue what we need to repent from. So maybe the questions of Advent should include for us asking God, where am I wrong? And don't just do it for some stuff. Do it for everything. Do it for everything. Is this thought process wrong? Is this viewpoint wrong? Lord, am I wrong? Am I wrong? Show me, Lord, am I wrong? Maybe you need to have a conversation with somebody else because maybe your, your tune-in dial is not really good with God and you can say, am I wrong? You say, oh, you don't do that. Let me tell you what the number one role of my wife is to tell me when I'm wrong. My role is to tell her when she's wrong, too. Don't believe I don't. I'm not going to get on the end of this limb by myself today. But, beloved, you can be a better friend to somebody by telling them, you know what, I think you're wrong on this. And then you can engage in conversation. You know what? You may be the one wrong when you tell them that you may be wrong. But guess what? We all learn. We're all free together. You may learn information you don't know. But it first starts with saying, God, am I wrong? And understand, beloved, back to what I said earlier. Being your authentic self is not necessarily right. Because there are some people I know who are just mean people. And they, that is their authentic self. They are mean, unhappy, graceless people. And their authentic self needs to repent. 
There are some people who are so self-assured about who they are that they are wrong all the time. We need to understand that sometimes our authentic selves are sinful and we need to ask God, do we need to change it? And then maybe we should ask God, do our values and our thoughts match those of the kingdom? Because John says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we've already talked about this a little bit, but do our values and our thoughts match the kingdom? You see, beloved, the Sadducees and the Pharisees thought that they, their values matched the kingdom and John called them a brood of vipers. It does not simply rest on what you believe. It also means what's at the core of who you are. Bear, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Your trees are bad is what John says in 11 and 12. Your trees are not, your trees are dead on the inside and they're not bearing fruit and God's going to cut them down. Bear fruit. Fix what's on the inside. Because that's repentance, beloved. Changing. Because in changing, you become who God made you to be. When you repent, you grow more in the image of God and in His likeness and in His thoughts and in His values. And in doing so, you become secure in yourself and you have 24-7 protection is that what you need today I'm going to speak for myself yeah I need a little bit more and I'm going to let you be honest today you do too so let's all repent let's pray kind father Show us where we need to change. Show us where our values don't match the values of the kingdom. Show us where our authentic selves are not true to you. Show us, Lord, where we need to change. That we can find peace. Help us to be who you called us to be. both as individuals and as a congregation. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound.